Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. In today's episode, we look at the Song of Solomon, Chapter 4. It's been a while since Solomon speaks, but most of this chapter is from him up until the last part of the last verse, where we get just a short response from the bride. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, will go away to the mount I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense you are altogether beautiful my love there is no flaw in you come with me from lebanon my bride come with me from lebanon depart from the peak of amana from the peak of senir and hermon from the dens of lions from the mountains of leopards you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates, with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, and let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. This is the word of the Lord. So we begin the, the husband's response here and really the, the imagery bringing us right back to the beginning of this letter to chapter one. So the, the wife, the bride had in some ways decried the, the abuse that her flesh had seen. Uh, that she had seen so much sun that her skin had been scarred from it. And yet she knew that her husband viewed her as beautiful. And that so parallels to us in the church, as we know that we are scarred and marred by our sin. And yet Jesus, our groom, declares us beautiful as he washes us clean, forgives all of our sins, and brings us to himself. That is really the ultimate connection point in the the entire letter that we want to be bearing in mind as God's people. Now, a string of compliments comes in, uh, starting right there at the top of the chapter. They sound odd to us. <laughs> I mean, men, good luck if you're going to try to use these on your wife. Good luck. Um, we have been 
in our own language, in our own culture, in our own time, we have been conditioned to think of things differently. We consider different things to be beautiful than other cultures and other times have considered. So if you try these things, I don't know your wife, maybe, maybe they'll work. Maybe, probably not. But I, I want to take a, a moment and I, be a little more serious. I mean, consider how he's complimenting his bride. What's he comparing her to? He's comparing her to the, the things of God's creation. When you stop and think of it that way, it actually is extremely complimentary. I mean, look around you. Enjoy the creation that God has made. You could see a compliment coming from that. If you think of the sunset or the stars and the heavens, we pull compliments from there sometimes. And this isn't that different. It's actually quite impressive to, to consider the beauty of God's creation and then to share those compliments with your wife. So that's what the groom was doing here, even though, again, they sound a little odd to us. One of the ones I wanted to unpack a little bit is the verse 4, the one that isn't so much creation, um, but the things that man has done. So verse 4, your neck is like the Tower of David. And you get a thousand shields and warriors and whatnot. In an agricultural society, the neck has a little bit more conversation around it than it does in our time today. I, I think most Americans uh, in the industrial part of the country, at least especially, don't give a lot of thought to the neck. And because of tractors and whatnot, I don't think even our farmers give a lot of thought to the neck. Whereas you have the insult in scripture, calling someone stiff-necked meant that they were stubborn. And when God called his people stiff-necked, it meant that they would refuse to listen to him. And the connection there is the yoke uh, that would be placed on the oxen as they're driving the, the farming implements. Um, if they're, they're basically, their, their feet go where their head is pointed. If they're looking one way, that's where they walk. And so as a farmer, you needed to be able to turn them. And so to turn them, you had to turn their head uh, in order for them to do your field. If they're stiff-necked, you can't turn them. They're going to do what they want to do rather than what you want them to do. And so that does have a little connection to this compliment. As Solomon is speaking of his bride, he's saying that she is, in this sense, she's strong-willed but in a good way, rather than the stubborn way of the, the ox that we were just describing. Where is her gaze fixed? Throughout this letter so far, it's very clear her gaze is fixed on her husband. She wants to be looking at her husband and nothing else. The church, we as God's people, we want to be looking at Christ and nothing else. So it's actually a very, it's a good compliment. Um, and it's worthwhile for us to consider as well. So as we look at this, that was the, the perspective from the husband wife, the compliment side. So we look at it from the other side, our conversation around God and his church. Here, the Lord delights in his creation. These are good things. These are things God has made. And so it's good to bring these up. 
especially when you look at it from the, the perspective of what you hopefully can discuss with your children. What job did God give to Adam and Eve when they were in the garden? The word is dominion. Um, it's where we get dominate in English. It's not, that word ends up with a negative connotation in our, our culture today. But to have dominion means to rule over something, to care for something. Even ruling has a negative connotation today, but it doesn't need to, not, not the simple actual word itself. Adam and Eve were given dominion. So these goats and the ewes, they were to care for them. The gazelles, they were to care for them. The pomegranates, they were to care for them. And so there's a connection here as well. The Lord is delighting in his creation. And that creation includes even us. As we get into verse 6, the, the conversation shifts a little bit. We actually saw that phrase, until the day breathes and the shadows flee, in chapter 2, verse 17. The bride spoke that, that phrase. She wanted, this is the idea of as the new day dawns and, and, and begins, she wanted his provision and protection. Care for me until that time. Whereas he, using the same phrase, wants the celebration of their marriage. So they're both looking forward to this time together uh, is where, where this is going. Uh, we can point to, in verse 6, the mention of myrrh and frankincense. Um, they're just brought up here as spices that were common in the Shulamite region where this woman was from, uh, as is going to be the point down near the bottom of this chapter. But for conversation with your kids, this is a great time to point to Jesus. Ask your kids, where do you, where do you know these two words from? You hear myrrh and frankincense. What do you think of? And it's the gifts that the Magi brought to baby Jesus. Verse 7 is what Christ will say of you on Judgment Day. You are beautiful, and there is no flaw in you. We look at ourselves, we know how untrue that is. I know how deep a sinner I am. I know how terrible some of my thoughts can be. And yet there is no flaw in me, according to Christ, because of what he has done for me. Wonderful good news. Verse 8 mirrors chapter 2, verse 10. Um, where the bride was actually speaking for her husband, that her husband was calling her to come away with him. Here we see the words. He is calling her. The bride is calling, the, sorry, the groom is calling his bride to come with him, to come to him. Lebanon is up north of, of Israel. It's uh, more in a mountain region. Uh, it's near where, Shulam, where Sh <laughs> this woman's home, and she is a Shulamite. Uh, that tribe would have been living near Lebanon. Lebanon is where Solomon imported the cedars that he used to build the temple um, and also his, his palace. So there's a little connection there as well. Amana, Sanir, Hermon, uh, similar concept here. They're, they're mountain peaks uh, as Lebanon is a mountainous region. And then the den of lions and mountains of leopards. She is being called to leave her home behind, to leave the dangers of her home behind, and to instead come and live with her groom. You might remember back to chapter 1, verse 6, where she remarked that her 
her mother's sons wouldn't even call them brothers her mother's son her mother's sons had forced her to work in their fields instead of being able to work her own so she has been persecuted she has been harmed uh, and harm would remain so he is calling her into himself he is calling her into his home where he can protect her and provide and care for her and this is a great parallel to christ in the church as he calls us out of the brokenness of this world out of the dangers of this world to be with him in his paradise where he will forever protect and care for us it's a, a wonderful good news verse 9 um, a bit of a, a romance thing. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. Um, couples talk that way with each other. I love at first sight. We don't just say that about husband and wife, though. We also sometimes say that about our children. That moment when you first see your child is love at first sight. God has loved us even before he created us. Something to keep in mind. With verse 10, it parallels back to chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, uh, that your love is better than wine. Verse 11, uh, actually, so the woman is 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 dripping with these, these things, uh, nectar, honey, milk. Those are all good gifts that the husband is providing. So her groom is providing these things, and she's enjoying them. She's making use of what he gives to her. Um, which makes the husband glad. I mean, he's fulfilling what he's been given to do and caring for his wife. But we can take this certainly in the church. What gifts does God give to us to enjoy? That's a family question for you there. Discuss that together. And we can talk about forgiveness and love and salvation. We can talk about family and home and clothing as God meets our needs. We can talk about the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We can talk about paradise. We can talk about so many things. And then as you see with this picture of the bride, the, the lips are dripping with nectar. Um, we can, uh, it's not necessarily the point that the verse is making, but this idea of seeing it coming out of her mouth, we think of God's word coming out of our mouth. So the gifts that he has given to us to enjoy, we are trying to share those with the people around us as well. Verses 12 through 16 are a celebration of purity, of her virginity, that she was faithful unto her husband. And he gets to celebrate that. They get to celebrate that together. And so as we think of this, then, from the perspective of Christ and his church, God calls us to faithfulness to him, not to immorality, not to chasing after idols. And, and there's lots of imagery like that in the scriptures, comparing our, not just false gods, as we think of normally, but anything that we put in front of God, anything that we value or trust more than the Lord himself, the scripture calls that an idol, a false god. And it often talks about it in sexual language, that we have committed adultery against the Lord. Because, again, he is our groom, we are the bride. And so when we abandon him for another, we've committed adultery. And so that's the picture here. God is calling us to a thorough faithfulness in all things. He is to be 
our God alone. He is our husband, our groom alone. It's a garden locked. No one else can get in. No one else... No one else can be the center of your life or your mind or your heart. It belongs to God alone. Verse 15 has an interesting connection for us. The well of living water. John chapter 7, verse 38. Jesus talking um, talking about how if we believe in him, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We have several connections there in the book of John, uh, chapter 4 twice, chapter 7 twice. This idea of baptism is, is certainly in play here, that God creates faith in us, and then that faith is a living and active thing each and every day of our life. And then lastly, the woman speaks and simply says, come. She wants her husband, she wants her groom to enjoy the gift of marriage with her. And so do we. We as the church, we as the bride of Christ, we in, invite him to come and enjoy the gift of that marriage that he has worked so hard to achieve that he would get to enjoy that together with us. And that is the prayer of the church that John left us at the very end of scripture in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, where we are taught to pray these four simple words. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus.